Hi, I'm Christy Hurt, the founder of The Collab. We are a collective of brand professionals sharing our career stories. Every week, we pair up two members and they interview each other. So you'll get to hear one episode this week and one next week. You can join us too. Sign up at jointhecollab.com and then tell your story. Welcome to the Collab Careers Podcast. I'm Travis Paul Martin, founder of consulting firm TPM Consulting, and today it is my extreme privilege and honor to be speaking with the one and only Lauren Sherman. Lauren and I have known each other for, what, going on 15 years, and her voice in the industry is one I have always admired, so I'm very, very happy to have you here today, Lauren. How are you? How are you in this moment today? I'm well. Thank you for having me, Travis. What a nice introduction. Well, thank you for joining. Why don't you kick us off and give us a brief background into who you are, where you come from, and how you got to the career that you are currently in. So I am Lauren Sherman. I am a journalist. I cover the fashion industry, and I've been covering it since... 2004, really in earnest since 2005, 2006, but right out of school, I was doing a little bit of journalism as well. And I grew up in Pittsburgh. I always wanted to be a journalist. And then when I was in high school, decided that fashion journalism seemed like a good idea because I would be able to travel to shows in Paris and look at clothes and talk about and write about clothes I had developed an interest in fashion as a young teen and had started reading magazines like Sassy right before Jane Pratt left. She was still there when I was, when I was probably 10 or 11. And my mom was like, this is a feminist fashion magazine. You're allowed to have it. And so I started reading magazines pretty young and then was also really interested in Harper's Bazaar, which at that time, mid nineties, early nineties, Liz Tilbaris was the editor and really just incredible work and became super influenced and interested in being a fashion writer. And, and so somehow I managed to become a fashion writer. It's, it's crazy. There, it wasn't something that my parents were both, they had both worked retail and they had worked retail in the late seventies and early eighties when, and Travis, we were speaking previously about on your episode about you working at Burberry and being being a brand manager there at the Saks and retail, I think people don't realize how involved retail is from a, if you work at a high end store, you're, you have a say often in the buying, what, what goes into the store, what you give a lot of customer feedback to corporate, et cetera. And back in the seventies and eighties, most of the people working in those stores, if you were a manager, you were also buying for the store. So my parents worked at a denim store together. That's how they met. And my mom was the women's buyer. My dad was the men's buyer. So there is like this weird history of retail and fashion. And they were both really interested. I remember being young and knowing that we had like Calvin Klein branded sheets and things that were bought at Marshall's, but, but we, they were interested in brands and, and dressing up and, and all of that, even in suburban Pittsburgh. So I was just interested in fashion from a young age. And, and when I chose 
I knew I wanted to go to school for some journalism, but I chose the school Emerson College in Boston, which is primarily known for its entertainment industry connections. They now actually have a campus out here in Los Angeles that's four-year. So it's like a lot of people in the comedy world go to Emerson. There's a lot of, if, if you're on a Dick Wolf production, you're probably with a bunch of Emerson kids. I think someone, either he or someone connected to him, but it's it's a very Hollywood school, which I didn't really think about when when I applied there, but was interesting for me because I'm interested in pop culture and watch a lot of TV and everything. So it was fun. But from a journalism perspective, I studied something that was called writing literature and publishing, which I guess at a normal school would be an English degree, but it was it was almost studying magazine journalism. And so when I graduated in 2004, there weren't really that many online outlets. There was Stow.com and some other, most of the magazines didn't have an online presence. It was that they would have the articles from the magazine on the website and the idea was to drive subscription sales and that was it. So I was looking, my dream was to work at, be a fashion news editor like Ann Slowey was was one of my people who I thought, oh, I want to be like her when I grow up, where you go to the shows twice a year, you write a big 3,000 word essay about what you saw in Paris and Milan and London and New York. And during the year, you write profiles of designers and you you meet people. And I some of my aspirations were Teen Vogue, there were Jane Magazine, which Jane Pratt, who was another one of my idols, had had done. I thought that I would end up at a place like that. I wasn't we didn't, we weren't a, a household that grew, I didn't grow up with like the New York times on Sunday. I didn't even think about the fact that even though I have a real instinct as a reporter, I never even thought about the idea of like working at a newspaper or something like that. And, or a general interest publication. I thought I'd work at one of these magazines. So I ended up getting a job through this internship I had in in London, actually, at this company called Quintessentially, which was like, it still exists. It's like a lifestyle management company, which I guess now when I say those words, that is BS. It's like a concierge service for really wealthy people. And and you pay a certain amount of money a year and you have different tiers of service and they can get you like reservations. They used to get us reservations at like the Ivy or whatever. And they had a magazine in the UK. And then they also had a website where they had a newsletter that they would send out top tips, best places for afternoon tea, all this silly stuff. And, and so I was the assistant on the newsletter and, and I assisted the art director and the editorial director. And so I got to see how wealthy people, especially this like super rarefied culture in the UK, because one of the founders was the niece of Camilla Parker Bowles. And when I worked there was when she married Prince Charles. So like really in that super upper level of society, most of the guys went to eat and that thing. And so I really got to see how people of that class spend their money. (laughs) And also people who are not of that class, but who live in London because they own homes there and tax stuff, spend their money. So got to really see high net worth individuals spending as a 21 year old. And so 
when I moved back to New York after doing that job for two years, I really wanted to, and you were talking about living in Paris. I, I loved London. It was really expensive. And I moved there a week after graduation in 2004 and left at the end of 2005. It was an expensive time to live there. It was great for paying my student loans in the U.S. because it was like two to one or something like that, the the pound to dollar. But it was expensive and I just felt like I was I didn't want to build my life there and, and I wanted to get in to media in the U.S. So I moved back and for a few months, I temped at the speaker agency called Harry Walker, and, and I found that through a temp agency, but they were super great because not only did they help me with trying to find job interviews and connecting me with people, but they were also like, you can work here for as long as you want. And one skill that I had picked up, I don't even know how, was that I could do light HTML coding. <laughs> And so, which, which now is just so crazy that people would hard code anything. If you go into a content management system, sometimes I still like to go on to the coding side and clean it up, but I was able to do that. And so the job at Quint, essentially I did a lot of light coding. And then this job at Harry Walker, I forget what it was. I think they were, I was helping them build a part of their website, which now just seems so insane. I can't believe that because I didn't know what I was doing, but they were like, you can stay here forever. I was getting paid, I don't know, 10 bucks an hour or something. And so they were, they were happy to have me. And, and so for the first few months in New York, I did that and just interviewed at a million different places. And at the end of that time, I, I had, I was, I think when I moved to New York, end of 2005, and I'm, I believe I was 22 or yes, I, I had just turned 22. And I said to myself, I'm going to give myself until 27 to have a staff writing job somewhere. And if I'm not doing it by the time, that's five years. If I don't have that by the time I'm 27, then I got to think about maybe this isn't the right thing for me. And, and so those first few months, they were really hard. I, I I had friends from school who had gotten the assistant job because they were sort of like two years ahead of me, basically, or had snuck in somewhere or were just doing more interesting things. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm still temping. And I, I remember I interviewed with a temp agency that used to do the Condé floater position, which when Condé still had front desk assistants at each magazine, they had a program. And I think it was being phased out even in the mid 2000s when the magazine industry was still booming. But you could get into this floater position and or you would like temp for assistance when they were on vacation, editor assistance. And so the idea was like you get in as a floater and then you get a permanent job when it's open. I remember this temp agency guy was like, you couldn't handle it. He was so mean to me about it. And I was, I was like really intimidated. I'm not, I can be a bit shy when, when I first meet people and I, it's a little bit of guard, but it's also just, I didn't have any contacts. I didn't know anyone. I, I don't come from that world that, that publishing is, and I don't come from that where I did go to a private college, but that was on my own volition with my own money. It wasn't, I didn't have anybody who was going to help me out when I moved to New York and like hook me up with stuff. So I was a bit intimidated and I just remember he made me feel so 
awful. And I didn't ever even interview at Condé for one of those one of those floater jobs. But what I did do was as I was working at Harry Walker and and they were really encouraging and just really kind, I ended up getting two interviews at the end of the year. One was to be an assistant news editor at Forbes.com. And the other one was to be the online editor of Cosmo. And I went in and I met with the a an HR person who I think just retired from Hearst. And I talked to him about, and I had no interest in Cosmo as a reader or as an aspiring fashion writer. I it wasn't, it's not, it's not my vibe, but it seemed like a pretty, a pretty big job. And, oh, I also inter- interviewed at the daily, which I, the job that I interviewed for there was this reporter position. And I remember going in and this woman who worked there was so great. I, I met Brandusa Nero. She was really scary. And I, I was like, well, she's so intimidating. But I, the the daily job was funny because I think it's the job Farron Krenzel ended up getting, who is a longtime peer of mine who who started Fashionista where I ended up working and there was a, a, like a mid-level editor job and a reporter job. And they brought me in for the other job. And I said, I really would rather the, have a reporter job. I want to be a reporter. And the woman, I forget her name. She's not in the industry anymore. The woman was like, well, so the, basically the job is that you go out and you go to these parties and you do party reporting till 4am and then you go home and you sleep, and then you file at like 11 the next day. And even then at 22 years old, I was like, but I wouldn't be able to go to my floor Pilates on on Tuesday night at the Bally in Harlem. Like I was such an old lady even at that time. It was, but I really wanted it. I didn't end up getting it. I think that is the job Farron got, which is great because she was perfect for it. But I also did these two interviews, more serious things at Forbes and then also at Cosmo. And I was taking, there was this entity called Media Bistro back then. I don't know if it still exists. This woman, Laurel Tubi started it, but it was like a job board for media jobs. And then they also had classes. So you could take like an intro to fiction writing or an intro to nonfiction memoir writing, or they had, I took this class with Nola Weinstein, who actually now works at Apple, but was at Twitter for a long time. We did this class together. It was like intro to fashion and beauty writing. And the woman who who ran it. She had been an editor at Glamour for a long time at, and at DNR, the menswear version of Women's Wear Daily that doesn't exist in name anymore. And I told her I was doing these interviews and she said, look, like if you take the job at Cosmo, you can never work at Forbes. But if you take the job at Forbes, you can work wherever you want afterwards. And I, I don't think that's true now given the trajectory of both of the, both of those publications i think in some ways you're probably better off at cosmo but but at the time i really did consider that and i thought you know it's the the job was in the lifestyle department and it was it's really hard to explain what it was now but it was in audience development but you sat in the newsroom and it was almost like pre-social media like i was pitching our stories to these big portals like AOL and MSN for them to run them. So I would like redo the headline. So it was portal friendly or whatever. And so I, I ended up getting this job at Forbes and was like, well, I don't want to work at a business magazine. That seems so boring. I'm just going to work here for two months and then hightail it to Teen Vogue or whatever I get. And then it was interesting. I got there. I made it very clear 
immediately I wanted to be a reporter and I got writing opportunities probably two or three months in. I started writing and I would do that like on my own time. And a year in, I got a full-time reporting job. But what I realized very quickly was the managing editor who had randomly also gone to Emerson, he didn't hire me, but it was the first time where I was lucky where he was like, oh, another Emerson person in journalism. Let's, I'm going to look out for you. He told me to read this book, The End of Fashion by Terry Agins, who at the time was the fashion reporter at the Wall Street Journal. I read this book and I was like, oh, this is so interesting. Terry is really the only person who does this. And maybe I should make this my thing because this business is only getting bigger. It was when the industry had really started to consolidate. LVMH was rising up, caring at was at the time called PPR, but also rising up and Gucci group. And so I figured maybe this is more me. Like I'm not really a copywriter. You, when you work in fashion writing, you have to do a lot of heads and decks that are like fun and engaging. And at the time, at least when magazines were doing fun stuff, but it wasn't really me. And I thought being a reporter is what I really like about all of this. So maybe I should do business stuff. And so that's a very long 15 minute journey into how I became a fashion journalist, but it just, uh, there isn't much else to the story. It's really came from wanting to be a reporter, loving fashion. And then Honestly, reading Terry's book, and she knows that, it really did change my life. And getting that job at Forbes changed my life. And and it, I was really lucky that I found something so early that I could build on. And I'm still amazed that I'm still doing it over 17 years later or whatever. I love all of that. I, it's, I mean, as long as I've known you, it's so interesting because I've never known like your parents tie to all of this. Yeah. And that I find so interesting. And the fact that they were in denim, I'm attributing to maybe why you and I like fall so hard for the gap still. Totally. And like, we'll just always talk about it. So interesting. Okay, so fast forward, you've had big pioneering jobs lately, I think by becoming the New York correspondent for business of fashion, and then you have to share what your title was when you left, but you really, I think you helped grow that platform. And then now you are at Puck and this whole new wave of, of journalism being newsletters. Talk us through like what was interesting about business of fashion and what your challenges were there and then what made Puck seem so interesting to to jump to? Yeah, so I think a unique thing about my trajectory is that my husband is the same age as me, as, and he's also a journalist. We met at Forbes. And so I got to see, and he left Forbes two or three years before I did to start Business Insider. He was employee number two at Business Insider. So, and he's a technology and now does a lot of consumer journalism. He he runs his own publication now, but has been through a lot of the business side journalism platforms. He worked at Recode, he worked at, at Quartz. So I've had an interesting look because he had all the privilege that I didn't. He went to Northwestern Journalism School. So if you went to like a 
a prestigious journalism school. He immediately, when we started at Forbes together, he was immediately making $5,000 more than me. He is a person who, he is a white guy. He is a person who definitely was never worried, too worried about, am I good enough to be here? So it was an interesting it really helped me make career decisions that were right for me, not only in negotiating. When I started at Fashionista, he had been working at Business Insider for a while and was like, this is how much I make. This is how much you need to ask for. Like that thing. But also just seeing different business models in journalism. And I really did want to stay in journalism. I didn't want to go work at a brand, which a lot of my friends have done and they make a lot of money and it's a great fulfilling job. But for me, I, I just like reporting so much. And so I got to see like a bunch of different business models play out. And when I worked at Breaking Media, which is a small consumer facing trades almost, got to see what like a little startup was. And I had met Imran Ahmed, who's the CEO and founder and editor-in-chief of Business of Fashion in 2009 when I still worked at Forbes. He had just started it. And at that time, it was not it was not his main business. He was a consultant and was doing it as an aside, but it was clear that he was just writing stuff I thought was interesting. And I followed it. And at, in those early days, all the online people, so all the bloggers and all the just internet people were stuck together at shows and things. So just interested in what he was doing. And I had had a very quick experience at, I worked at Lucky Magazine for a year and a half, which was this online shopping magazine that was run by Condé Nast that I was a huge fan of. I loved it. I thought it was a great publication. The people who worked there were super smart to talking about like display copy and doing that well. Like they were just geniuses at it. And I was a big fan they had gotten a new editor and they were looking for someone to run the online. And I had been interviewed. Fashionista was a poaching ground for the bigger magazines. Around 2010, they all started to launch like original content on their websites. And Fashionista was a place where you could find someone who knew how to do that, who understood the industry, et cetera. And I took this job because I was like, out of all the different magazine brands, this is the one as like a consumer I relate to the most. As a career, it's, it wasn't right for me. And I knew it a week into it. I was like, this isn't the right corporate culture for me. This isn't the right publication for me. I don't really want to manage people. I had a team of, I don't know, 12 or 13 people who I loved. And a lot of them I'm still very close with to this day, but it just wasn't, it wasn't right for me in any way. And so when uh, what I did a year in, I remember I was coming back from a vacation and I was like, I can't do this. I just, I hate this so much. Like I just was so unhappy and it wasn't, it was definitely because of the job itself and not the people. The people were really lovely, but it, I just decided what I got to not do this. And as someone who grew up, whose parents were like, well, my, single mom, paycheck to paycheck, like quitting your job to go freelance seems extremely indulgent and insane. <laughs> so even though by this time I was married and we had like my husband could do the health insurance, that thing, it just felt like, ooh, do I really want to take this risk? And what I decided was, yeah, I do because I got to get out of this or I'm not going to, I'm going to end up have like in a position that isn't satisfying. And so 
I quit, I saved up money for six months. I gave them a month's notice at the end of 2012. And I called everyone I knew. I called the fashionista people and got a part-time job with them where I could write for them. And I gave them like write a first refusal on a bunch of stuff, but it gave me, I think actually my husband was freelancing at the time as well. And so I think, yeah, fashionista actually did my health insurance, which was amazing. Like, huge thank you to John Lerner who runs Breaking Media for, for, I mean, he owed me, but, but also was great. And then I, I called Imran and I said, I'm going to be freelancing. The first freelance piece I did was for business of fashion in January, 2013. And I freelanced for a few years. And so I think it was end of 2015 when st- I had been doing reviews for style.com when that f- was folded and Tim Blanks joined BOF. Yeah, I went on contract. I left the fashionista contract, went on contract with BOF. And then by early 2016, they had established a New York office and a New York business so that they could pay me through a W-2 or whatever. So, and the reason I did it was it's simple. I mean, I really believe in the business of fashion business model. And, and I believe that trades can be much better than they are and, and stronger and sharper with a stronger point of view. And I trusted Imran and, and believed in his vision, and I still really do. It, it was the best job for me at that time, and I feel so lucky. I love early stage. I'm I'm a person, I like being in an office with like two people. And so really soon after I started, we hired Chantal Fernandez, who ended up being my work partner, and we were actually writing a book together now, And and I got to see that our office in New York build up. We hired Joanna Stout, who had been at the CFDA and Estee Lauder to do partnerships. She is now like a big wig at Business of Fashion. She runs their partnerships and their their brand relationships out, out of Milan. And so for me, it was really, it was really a I believe in this and I want to have a part in it. And also it's really nice to have equity in something and And I just felt really valued by them. And you don't really get that in journalism very much. And also a thing I've really struggled with is if you want to like make a decent amount of money in journalism, you really need to go into management. And I didn't want to do that. And it's, there are many reasons. And one is that I really like reporting and I like being alone and I like, and so that allowed for me, I did have a couple moments when I was there where I dipped into the management side and quickly dipped out. And Imran's really supportive. He's someone who's always like, I want you to be happy. And so I was there full time for seven years, writing for them for 10. When they like I when I started, they were six people. And so I just saw the the business evolve. And really I thought that that would be my last full-time job. I thought eventually in the next few years I would maybe go freelance and we moved to LA. I would like write more books, that thing. Cause once I did the freelancing thing once and I could, I knew I could handle it. I'm not afraid of it. But then I, this, this publication Puck launched almost two years ago now. And I had someone, one of my husband's former colleagues was one of the founding partners. And then Uh, someone I know had forwarded me the entertainment newsletter they did really early. I was on maternity leave. My kid was born in May, 2021. And someone had 
forwarded to me and I remember reading it on mat leave and being like, oh, this is so good. I love this. It's written. It's so funny. It's interesting. It's like insider gossip and news and business writing, but it felt like it had the voice of one of the old magazines. And when I first moved to New York, I had done this fun, I had, I had done some work for Esquire where I used to, speaking of my coding experience, I used to hand code Esquire two nights a month and they put, and then they would like insert it into their CMS. And so I got to read, and that was when David Granger was the editor and it, it had such a strong voice. Like, I think that really shaped me in many ways because I read the whole magazine for, I don't know, a year and a half and, and would line by line have to hard code this copy. But anyway, I, I was just, I loved it. I was, I became a paying subscriber almost immediately and was like, oh, I wish that they would do a fashion thing. and at the same time I was writing this book and I, I was like, am I going to just stay at BOF forever? I don't, I don't know. It just felt like it was time for me to move on, but it was such a good job. And I, I love them so much that I just, I was like, how could I leave this? I'd be so stupid. But then essentially I had reached out to one of the writers and said, if you're ever interested in getting into fashion and they had only done media, Hollywood, DC and finance at that point, if you're interested in fashion, I just want to be in the conversation. It would have just killed me if they hired someone and I wasn't someone they had spoken to. And it turned out that on the other side, they had been asking around and my name had come up. And when I met John and the editor in chief, it just like, it just felt like, okay, this is the right thing. And it's a similar situation where I really believe in what they're doing. I really trust the founders. I like them. And also... And I, it's just, there's nowhere else that I would want to be. Like, there's literally no other job that I would want right now. And that feels amazing. I love being early. I think I was employee number 30 or something earlier than technically at BOF, which is crazy. And it it just feels like if people want journalism to stick around, you have to figure out a better way to make money off of it. And their whole premise is that the revenue should come from the talent is the content is the money maker and whereas a lot of companies the talent drives other things or and and the talent is the core of the business here and and i feel like it makes the talent more engaged and also it just is great great work every week i'm just amazed by the the stories that my colleagues are telling and yeah, I feel really lucky and 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 that they took the risk and and decided that fashion was a great next category. I mean, they could have gone into a lot of other things, but I think what John and the team have done that's really smart is they have chosen the right writers for Puck instead of thinking, "Oh, we need to make sure we cover this base in terms of topic." And so, yeah, it's been really fun and interesting and I again like have more than just a salary driving me here. Like I want the companies to succeed. And also I have a one-to-one relationship with the reader. And that is amazing. Like the email that I send out twice weekly is going right to the people. That's my personal email. And so when they respond, I can respond back. And that has created, not only do I get story ideas from people following up on things, but also just this 
I feel really connected to the reader and I understand what they like and what they don't like. And, and so it's been amazing. And of course I was like, I'm going to be much faster than Travis, but now I've talked over. To offer my two cents. I mean, I think what you are doing at Puck is just so good. And so it really, I read your newsletter with the same energy that I feel like I read like Kathy Horn or Robin Gavon. Like there's just, it's just so smart and interesting. And also I have to say like, well-designed, like it's simple, but like, there's so many newsletters that like I'll get on my phone and it's so hard to read on my phone that I'm like, Oh, I'll just read it later. And then I never read it. And there's just something about the way you guys have done it where it's like, it's just so easy and clear and I call it snackable, but it's also meaty because like, I love the structure of it. Thank you. They'll, they'll appreciate that. Good. Well, okay. I know we are over time, but I, I am never on this side of things. So I have to live out like my James Lipton fantasy really quick. Cause my favorite thing is like his Proust questionnaire, which was also like part of Vanity Fair. I feel like anytime, like I would just go to the back of Vanity Fair and start with that. So I'll just do very concise. What is your favorite word? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Oh, my God, Travis. Let me think really quickly. What is something I do really like using? You threw a crazy word in your last newsletter that I had to Google. I was like, what is this word? What word was it? It was you're, something talking about, it starts with a, the letter V. It was talking about three things. And you're like, and that's a verb. Oh, my God. I mean, maybe one of my editors added it. <laughs> I don't have a very big vocabulary. <laughs> well, okay. Next, what is your least favorite word? Oh, this is, there are many. I hate the word plethora. Perfect. Okay. And then we'll end it on what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And I did have, I did have an answer. I mean, food critic doesn't, it's not really that different, but I, sometimes I think, oh, it would have been interesting to write about food. And there was something, oh, a de- retail buyer. Like I, that's the thing now when I look back, I'm like, should I, should I have been a merchant? Cause there aren't that many good ones. And I actually think I would have been really good at it. And, and so that is, I never thought about that, especially I wasn't bad at math, but I wasn't like, I was half and half, but I just preferred English. And so now I think, should I have done that? That would have been super fun. And sometimes I'm like, when these chief merchant jobs are open or like they can't get their buy right, I'm like, I could do that. <laughs> you totally could. I don't know. The supply chain really screws you, but but I do think that there is like a crisis in the industry of of not having strong merchants who are driven by taste and, and instinct and use the math just to support them. And they use the math for everything. And, and so if I were going to tell someone what they should do, I think like being a good picker is something that is, is needed. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And everyone needs to go subscribe to Lauren's newsletter at puck.com. Puck.news. Puck. Oh, puck.news. That's fine. Thank you for having me, Travis. This was so fun. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks so much for being here for the Collab Career Stories podcast. Please follow us on social media at Join the Collab. 
and sign up to become a member and share your story at jointhecollab.com.